Welcome to the On Point Podcast, a channel dedicated to helping you be the best hunter you can be. On Point is designed to help motivate and inspire you to get more out of yourself and your gear during your next hunt. If you're looking for information that will directly impact your success and help inspire you to go on new adventures, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle, On Point is the channel for you. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast where I get to sit down with Mike Batiste from the Elk Calling Academy. Mike is from Idaho and has a stellar record of putting down bulls on public lands and actually has the Elk Calling Academy. He's the founder of that where he basically does private lessons for folks that are wanting to learn elk behavior, elk calling, elk hunting tactics, and, and just does a great job with really speeding up that learning curve for folks who are wanting to get into it or up their success. So for folks that are wanting to learn what does a mew versus a calf call sound like versus a herd bull versus, a say, a roundup bugle. He covers all that stuff. He gives demonstrations on all that stuff. And truly blessed to have him on the podcast. And I'm also super excited because not only do we have him on the podcast, but this is also the first podcast that he's ever been on. So I feel like we really have a, a special um, opportunity here to really help folks. And uh, I really appreciate him taking his time to come onto the podcast. And I definitely think we're going to be having him on again for future elk episodes in the future. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy. I had a great time uh, recording this episode, learned a lot myself. I had no idea some of the things that he talked about were just so common sense and so basic that it's like, why didn't I think of that? So I hope that you guys have some of those moments in this episode as well. You guys can connect a few dots and uh, let me know what you think in the end. Always leave a five-star review with a comment. Get yourself entered in some of these cool giveaways. I just gave away um, some Dark Timber Coffee Company G4 blend last episode uh, to a lucky listener and we got some more stuff coming. We got some beef jerky from uh, the uh, Off Grid Food Co., and some, uh, some other cool stuff coming. So let me know uh, what you guys think of the podcast. Leave a five-star review on iTunes with a comment and uh, be happy to get you entered in my next giveaway. So with no, any further ado, Mike Batiste from the Elk Calling Academy. Let's just start now. So uh, let's get some introductions going. Why don't you tell me who I'm sitting down with? All right. I am Michael Batiste. I'm the founder and owner of Elk Calling Academy. I live in uh, Boise, Idaho with my wife and three of our kids. And, and it is just a elk calling and outdoor hunting household here with everybody. Right on. So how long have you been doing this? So Elk Calling Academy, I've, I started Elk Calling Academy a year ago, but actually I've been involved in the hunting industry for about close to 15 years now. Hmm. Um, you know, several years ago, I, uh, kind of got involved with some call manufacturer companies and, and kind of spent a good 11, 12 years kind of involved with, uh, call companies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, what you were know, you doing for them? So, you know, started off as just pro staff. Um, so, so it's kind of funny. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in Oregon. Uh, that's, that's where oh. I cut my elk hunting teeth in 1988. So this is going to be my 30th year chasing elk. Hmm. I moved to Idaho kind of 93, 94 timeframe. And, uh, God, I want to say, what was it? 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. 
uh, we had gotten back from an archer hunt. We'd used on, only Primo's calls at that time. And mm -hmm. I jumped on their website. I noticed that they didn't have a pro staff member for the state of Idaho. So I got on the phone and I called Primo's and they said, well, you have to send us a letter. You need to tell us a little bit about yourself and you have to be efficient in um, three areas of calling. So um, I, I want to say the when I submitted the letter, I think I put elk, turkey, and predator is, is the three. Really? Um, two weeks later, I got a phone call from Jim Horn, who at that time was the Western's promotions manager for Primos. And we, we got on the phone and I did some calling on the phone for him and some talking and he said, okay, somebody will be in contact with you. And two days later, lo and behold, I get a phone call from Will Primos himself. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, it was uh, quite funny because I was around quite a <laughs> few people. And, you know, I'm trying to have this conversation with Will Primos. And, you know, the peanut gallery, gallery is in the back writing, you know, little, <laughs> little notes, you know, like Primos sucks and, you know, and all this stuff. And <laughs> here, here I am trying to have a serious conversation. But, you know, long story short, um, basically, I started kind of working a couple of trade shows with Jim. And Jim called me and he says, hey, my, my good friend Rocky Jacobson is doing a seminar down there in Boise. I want you to go over and introduce yourself to him. And mm -hmm. so I went to one of Rocky's seminars and introduced and I was, I, I was absolutely blown away with the tones that, you know, this guy was producing. And I ended up, uh, even though I was, I was working some trade shows with Primos, I ended up buying a Brown Raging Bull and the Monarch Grunt Tube, which mm. was the, the hot grunt tube at that time. And went out uh, that fall and we had the best year ever calling really? it out. I mean, it was insane that fall. And it was kind of funny because uh, later that spring, there's, there's a sports show here in Boise. It's the, the Boise Sportsman Show. I was at the show working in the Primo's booth with Jim and Rocky was a couple of aisles down. And so I went down and, and just kind of talked to Rocky a little bit about, you know, what, what we'd experienced, mm -hmm. you know, that fall. And, and he was by himself and, and he asked if I could watch his booth cause you know, he had to run and use the restroom real quick. And I did and he came back and we started talking some more and he offered me a pro staff position. Oh, and, you know, and, and I said, well, yeah, let me, you know, let me, let me think about it. But meanwhile, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm with Primos, you know, why, why would I leave Primos and, and, you know, come to the smaller outfit? And I walked back to the Primos booth and old, old Jim Horn, what'd you guys talk about? We just talked about elk hunting. No, really. What'd you guys talk about? Jim, we talked about elk hunting. He offered you a pro staff position. <laughs> Jim, we just talked about, you know what? If you're not going to tell me, I'm going to go find out. And Jim leaves the booth and goes over to Rocky's booth. Hmm. And I'm, I'm like, Jim's, Jim's wife, Ann, was in the booth with, with us. And I looked at her and I'm like, what just happened? And she goes, I don't know. And so I walk over to the, you know, Rocky's booth and those two are sitting there and they're talking and all of a sudden Jim goes, well, you offered him a pro staff position, didn't you? And Rocky goes, you're God dang right. I did. And he hasn't accepted. And Jim looks right at me and says, don't be an idiot. Take this opportunity. Really? Yeah. And so I'm like, okay. So I walked over to the Primo's booth and grabbed my stuff and <laughs> walked over to Rocky's booth and, and he loaded me up with calls and, and I spent, uh, you know, 
10 years with Rocky. Um, it, it ended up getting, you know, becoming his pro staff director and hmm. kind of his right hand guy. I mean, we traveled and did shows and seminars all throughout the, the Northwest for that 10 year period. And, and, you know, I, I owe a lot to Rocky. I mean, the opportunity that he gave me and, and the people that he introduced me to and I mean, the lifelong friends. And, and so really, really, really owe a lot to him. So, and that's really interesting. Why, why did, uh, Jim suggest that you switched jump ships? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think kind of, you know, cause I had never been on a pro staff up, up to that point. And I think kind of maybe it was, uh, you know, good opportunity to really learn, you, you know, the pros cause Primo's had so many pro staff at that time mm-hmm. you know, spread throughout, you know, the U S and, and I think maybe he felt that, you know, doing this with Rocky was really a good opportunity to, you know, really learn the pro staff side of it, really learn the trade show, trade show side of it. Um, meeting a bunch of people within the in- industry and kind of start that networking ball rolling. And it, I, you know, I still don't know. And I've, I've hmm. never, I've, I've never really asked Jim exactly why that happened. So that's pretty cool though. The guy that just, you kind of put your needs before the needs of a company that, that kind of, speaks volumes to me on character and stuff. Sounds like a good guy. Oh, Jim's a great guy. Absolutely. Um, you know, still, you know, we, we chit chat every once in a while and check in and, and, you know, I, I resigned from, you know, Rocky's company, um, three, four years ago. Hmm. So, and, and just kind of bounced around and did some independent stuff. And then the, the L calling Academy, it's, it's kind of funny how, it, it came about because I've, I've helped people and I've taught people, you know, at sports shows and done one-on-ones with people here in the Boise area. And, um, I got a call from a local archery shop and they said they had a guy in there that was wanting to learn how to elk call. And they said, he's willing to pay. Hmm. I said, okay, what's his, what's his, you know, name and number. And I took down the information. I said, I'll get a hold of him. You know, there's, there's no need to pay. I've done this for other people. And Oh, about, you know, 15, 20 minutes after that, our youngest son walked in and said, mom, dad, I want to take swimming lessons. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then it dawned on me, this little light bulb went off. Well, we can pay for swimming lessons. We can pay for guitar lessons and dance lessons. And, you know, there's tons of lessons out there that we can pay for. Why not? I'm sure there's people that would be willing to pay for no calling lessons to get that one-on-one. And that's, that's just kind of how it started. Well, I got to be honest with you. There's a guy that I talked to, uh, Jimmy, he's one of your customers mm-hmm. and he was sending me, uh, I think he sent me a, a couple clips or he posted a couple clips of him bugling and, um, it sounded like he'd been doing it for a while <laughs> and he'd only been doing it for a couple weeks. And yeah. it was like, holy crap. Like it took me at least a week just to get a mew out of a, out of a mouth call, you know, and he's out there, you know, he's doing lip, you know, just lip calling, lip, lip, uh, lip ball, lip balling and, just it's like, dude's good. I mean, he's legitimately good, and I don't think he's hunted a day elk in his life. Um, and he's he's excited to do it this year, though, man. So, um, it just to me that just kind of shows that I don't know of anybody else really doing what you're doing out there, actually giving lessons on elk hunting and elk calling. Like, I can't think of another person that that's doing that right now. It's kind of your own little niche. It is, it is, you know, and, and there's, there's other outfits that are out there that are teaching about elk hunting and, mm-hmm. and they're all really, really good platforms. Mm-hmm. And 
that's one thing that, you know, Elk Calling Academy, it, we're not just about the calling side of it. Um, you know, within the lessons, we, we get into, you know, elk biology and elk behavior and the different stages of the rut and hunting strategies. And, and so it, it really is all inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, elk hunting. But yeah, we do focus a little bit more on, you know, the calling side with understanding the language and, and you know, how to produce these different sounds. And, and I think it really, really does make a huge difference when you kind of have an idea of what's going on out there and what to say back. I couldn't, I mean, from, and I, this is a guy I'm like saying, I couldn't agree more and you can see my elk record, but from, from every year, I know more and more of what to say and when to say it. Um, it just makes every opportunity that much more in my favor when I'm like, okay, this bull's doing this, here's what I need to do. And what you're doing when that, you know, that's eight, nine years worth of, of hunting experience. That's getting me there. You're, you're exponentially accelerating that, you know, like, um, I could pick your brain for hours on, on what, where, when, why, how, you know, uh, but I would really love to get into some basics. Um, sure. what are some things, let's go over this kind of go this interesting question. What are some things that you see new guys commonly doing wrong? So, you, you know, there's, there's a, a few several things, but the, but the one thing that I really noticed, and this is no fault of, of anybody at all, yeah. um, you know, we all, the, the roof of our mouth is different for all of us, you know, how wide it is, how tall it is, um, you know, and, and because of those differences, there's not one read Mm-hmm. It fits everybody. And, and you can even talk to call manufacturers and they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. And, and actually a lot of them have, you know, different size frames and different styles for that specific reason. But the thing that I see a lot of people, um, you know, we're creatures of habit and we trust our close friends. So anytime we're going to do something, what's the first thing we do is we go to our friends and that's a good place to start. Um, but I would say a large majority of the students that actually come in for lessons end up leaving with a different diaphragm than what they showed up with. Cause you know, it's just like if, if you wear a large shirt, you're, you're not going to go into a store and buy a small. So same thing with diaphragm reads. If, if you get the right size diaphragm, the fit and the seal and all that is just so much easier that calling becomes a lot less effort to be able to control the notes and change the notes. And, um, that's, that's one of the big, big things that I really see is, is finding the right diaphragm that fits you. And, and like I said, we're, we're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of, you know, what works for our buddies and we get something and we're able to make it work a little bit. And we're like, you know what, I'm fine. Nope. This is all I need. And it's almost like we're too afraid to try something else, you know, Uh, that's really well put. Cause when I started, my dad bought me, um, a single, a double and a triple Mm -hmm. and immediately, what one do you think I went to? The The triple. triple. (laughs) Cause like, Oh, I could, I'll start on the triple. If I can master that, I can master any of them, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, I ended up just, I think I threw that one away. I, (laughs) I was, it's not like a dead cat dying or something. I don't know, man, but it, it, I think you're, you're onto something there because I've been going through, um, I've got a bunch of them, got multiple reads or uh, reads right here. And, and, and I mean, I, I haven't mastered this pink one yet. I don't know if I ever will. This is the one that Jason Phelps uses for his competition and, and hunting. 
Right. And um, I, I, I'm not really good with this one, like at all. But you take this blue one right here. Right. And I sound pretty darn good. I mean, right. I really do. And then this one, um, I haven't really played around with that one much. So for someone that's starting off looking to start with a read, right. um, my, my first thing would be single. Right. Um, what would, what, how would you know if you did find that right read? So, and here's the thing that you need to understand too. So, cause it's, it's funny, all the reads you were holding up there, those are all within the amp lineup. Yeah. So they're, they're all singles. So, but why do some work better for you when others don't? That's because even though they're singles, you're dealing with different thicknesses of latex and different stretches. So, you know, the different thickness in latex and the different stretches they're going to respond differently, meaning you're going to have to put more tongue pressure or more air pressure, uh, you know, to make the heavier thickness work where the lighter, um, you know, the lighter latex, you don't have to. Um, and in fact, I just uploaded a uh, video tonight on our YouTube channel where that, that amp lineup that Phelps offers, there's 10 reads in it. <laughs> What's the difference? How do you sort through? And, and so that's mm -hmm. what I kind of did in this video is break it down. But for a beginner, you want to find a single light latex with light stretch. So that means it's pretty thin. It's light stretch. It doesn't take much air pressure. It doesn't take much um, tongue pressure. You know, a few examples of calls out there. Um, the orange and the black from Phelps are good ones. Uh, the Mellow Yellow Mama from Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls and Supplies is another really good one. Um, the Rip It Red or the Rip It Black from Native by Carlton. Um, you know, now those are all within that single light latex, light stretch. But the interesting thing on each of those is you have small, medium, and wide frames. So somebody could sit there and pick up one of each of those. Like maybe they pick up a black felt or black amp from Phelps. They pick up the mellow yellow from Rocky mountain and they pick up the, the red rip it from native by Carlton. Now they have a narrow medium and a wide all still within that single light latex that they're going to have pretty good success, but then they're going to know exactly how that frame fits within the roof of their mouth. And they're uh -huh. really going to narrow that down. So how, um, how would you choose between going with a hand call versus a mouth call? You know, I've, I've really, really been heavy on the diaphragm side for so, so long because, you know, I didn't have anybody to teach me. Um, I, I learned everything, you know, on my own, just trial and error. And, and so I've, I've, I've been there. I, I know what it's like. And so because I work so hard to learn that, um, I tend to go more with the diaphragm read mm. over the open. But I'll tell you what, there's some phenomenal open read cow calls on the market that I told myself this year that I'm going to do a majority of my cow vocalizations on an open read and then I'll do my bugling on a diaphragm read just because I, I got I to gotta show some love to some of those open read cow calls. <laughs> well, for me, I, I stick with the, with the uh, diaphragms because it just for me, I don't know what it is. It just sounds more natural, more softer, less harsh, less kind of naggy. And then when you get these things, it's, 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 you can be quieter with them, but they're much more to me obtrusive than, than a, uh, a diaphragm call. What, is there certain scenarios where you would use a uh, open read versus a diaphragm? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, again, it goes to that education on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
though, because elk can do their vocalizations with either their mouth open or their mouth closed. So when their mouth is open, you know, it has a lot more volume. It has, you know, a lot more umph to it. So, um, but there's only certain sounds that they will really do that with where other sounds, you know, they do it majority of the time with the mouth closed. So knowing what you're saying and what kind of message you're trying to convey, that's really going to be the importance of whether you go with the diaphragm read to keep it softer or you go with that open read cow call where you want that volume and that obtrusiveness, you know, really going out there. So let's go over um, some different types of, of sounds that a cow would make. Okay. Um, now you're saying mouth closed, mouth open. I've never even thought of that, to be honest with you. So for, for me, when you, when you go over that, like a whiny estrus mew, that's probably a cow open mouth. You know, yeah, most of the time, because, you know, anytime you have a lot of emotion in that call, you're right. going to have more volume, you're going to have more urgency in it. And so those are going to kind of be, you know, some of the ones that you're going to lean towards that open, open read cow call. But, you know, you can, you can take the same call and do it mouth closed or mouth open, and it just gives it a different meaning. It's almost like when, you know, we're, we're talking to our kids and we're saying, come here come here, come here. You know, I said the same thing, but that last time I put a little bit of emotion in it. Um, you know, just prime example, a cow when she's, you know, calling to her calf. Okay. Maybe that calf's not paying attention. See, it's the same, exact same call, but the one with the mouth open kind of gives that little bit more urgency to it. Like that calf's like, oop, mom is being serious. I got to go. So. Do, do you ever do a cow and a calf back and forth at all? Or do you find any need for that? You know, it, it really depends on the situation. So, um, you know, hunting strategies, there's, there's a few different approaches. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're trying to call that bull in and he's only going to come in for one of two reasons. He's, he's either going to come in looking for love or he's going to come in looking for a fight. Well, how, how do we get them there? So, you know, there, there's a few different approaches out there. And I, I know a lot of guys that will do with the different approaches and they're, they're successful. I'm just a little bit different. So, you know, the one approach that's really, really popular is, is that challenge, challenge, challenge and aggressive, aggressive. Well, here's, here's the way I can kind of explain this. So, you know, um, let's, let's say my wife and I are sitting in a restaurant and we're eating dinner and this guy walks into the restaurant and he's very, very aggressive vocally. He's very aggressive physically. You know, he's going table to table, challenging every table to a fight. Um, you know, I'm not in that mindset. I've got my wife. It's, you know, my job to protect her. I'm probably just like majority of the other people. I'm going to remove her from that situation because we really don't know what this guy's intention is. Now, granted, he might get lucky that he might come up to a table where there's a guy that just had a really bad day and challenge accepted. We're going to fight. Well, that's kind of how it is when, you know, you're, you're challenging, you know, every elk. It's, it's, it's almost like if you meet somebody on the street and you go, Hey, how you doing? And then all of a sudden it's like, let's fight. So, and they're like, Whoa, you know, well, that's kind of how elk are. If they're not in that mindset. And, and, and like I said, the guys that do that, they're extremely successful, but if you kind of listen to them, they cover a lot of ground because they're looking for that one bull 
that is in that mindset. But you find a bull that's in that mindset and you take that approach, man, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because that bull is going to come in looking for a fight and he's going to come in like a freight train, which is heart pounding beyond exciting. So, so you're, refer, you're referencing in my, from my, from, from talking to people, that'd be the born and raised guys. They cover uh, ground and they challenge, 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 challenge. You know, they're, they're one of several groups out there that, that have that approach and that's their style. And that's the one thing that's really cool about elk hunting is because we have different styles. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, those guys are successful about it and, you know, at it, they're, they're cat road shuffle. You know, I, I love that terminology. So, you know, and then on the flip side, I have, I have a lot of other friends that all they do is cow call only. And so, you know, let's kind of explain that one in, 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 kind of human, human nature, human context. I kind of found in my lessons, that's one thing. If I explain it in human, human context, we all kind of understand it a little better. So, so again, my wife and I are sitting in the restaurant, we're eating dinner and uh, a, a gal walks in and she's kind of dressed pretty, pretty scantily. And she's going around table to table, you know, offering herself to the guys there at the table. Well, in this case scenario, my wife's probably going to be the one that's going to remove me from that situation. <laughs> so, and that's kind of how, how the cows are. Um, you know, cows choose the bulls during the rut and they don't really like sharing their bull. I mean, they, they've got that bull selected and, and, you know, you run that risk of if everything's not perfect, if you're too far away or this or that, those cows are just going to lead that bull away. So now you know, to answer your question about the cow-calf communication, kind of the approach that I take is I use cow calls to set up the bugles. So, um, you know, we, we do different things and we teach different things, kind of like a breeding sequence that you're, you're introducing new elements that you're slowly raising the aggression level of that bull. And, you know, when I say slowly, that's kind of a, a loose term because sometimes it can take five minutes to raise that aggression and other times it can take 45 minutes. You never know. But ultimately, we are trying to get them to that aggressive state. We're just kind of being on the offensive and raising that aggression and raising that aggression until we get to that point that they're aggression. And um, so, yeah, use use cow calls to set up the bugles with specific responses. Yeah, I've, I talked to a guy who, back when I started off, I was trying to learn everything I could about calling elk. And his strategy was, and he was a very successful Roosevelt hunter, um, his strategy was to get calf calls. Mm -hmm. And he was going to calf calls to her because once you get the calves going, you can start getting the cows going and the cows will eventually get the bulls. I've tried that so many times. Uh, never has it actually worked uh, for me on Roosevelt's, but he had really good success with it. Uh, have you ever heard of anybody starting that kind of chain reaction or does that it's, make any sense to you? It's actually one of the approaches that we take, that we teach. It's, it's midday hunting. And what you're doing is, is yeah, you're acting like a lost calf and, and you're kind of playing to the maternal instincts of those, of those cows. Um, and yeah, he's, he's exactly right. You get the cows to come, the bull's going to come. But what we find sometimes with these midday approaches is sometimes it's the bull that actually comes out first to, you know, protect that calf and, and get that calf back in the, in the group. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, cows don't like, uh, cows don't like dealing with young, immature bulls. Mature bulls don't like 
young immature bulls harassing cows. And so it's, it's kind of this little vicious cycle that you kind of understand that and you can kind of play that, especially, like I said, during mid time when, you know, midday when they're in their bed, that you can play that scenario that almost sounds like, um, you know, maybe it's a yearling calf um, that wandered a little bit too far from the bedding area and is lost and can't find. And all of a sudden here's this panic mode because there's, there's a younger bull in there that's, you know, trying to start his, his own little, own little harem, his own little group. And, and it can be a, a, a very, very effective midday tactic. So let's go over, um, tactics then. Um, let's say I'm starting off beginning of the year. And to be honest with you, my tactics, I don't get to hunt elk enough throughout the year. I get usually one good trip in usually around Labor Day for a week, week and a half. Okay. So my tactics are usually the same because I'm hunting the same time every year. Right. Um, so I don't have a lot of experience with success in um, early season versus late season. All mine is the first weekend in September to the, you know, the 14th. Okay. Um, so let's, let's, let's start um, opening day, like in Oregon, that's around last Saturday in, in August. Okay. Um, would you have a different approach versus say the second week in September versus the first week in August? And, and what would that be? Absolutely. So I, I think first off, it's, it's important to kind of understand what's going on during each of these times of the year. So, um, you know, during, during the spring and summer months, your cows and calves and younger bulls are usually down at lower elevations in meadows and parks because they're giving birth. The, the feed is really good down there. They can, they can set up in, in nursery groups where, you know, the cows can watch all of the calves. And you do have a few bulls that are mixed in there, but they're all younger bulls. The more mature bulls are higher up on the mountain living in either bachelor groups or complete solitude. And that's where they spend all summer long until, you know, the daylight starts changing. Uh, they kind of feel that rise. And, and so, you know, that August time frame, they're going to start rubbing that velvet off their antlers and establishing their pecking order, you know, right then finding out who the dominant bulls are. And then they're going to come down off the mountain to where those cows and calves are, and they're going to start rounding up their group of cows. So, so kind of in your time frame, you still have some of that pecking order going on, rounding up cows. Um, it's, it's kind of tricky, too, because sometimes you'll see the really, really big dominant bulls. They're not down there at the first of the season they're still staying up top. They're letting some of these smaller bulls do all the work of rounding up the cows. So, and then those really, really big dominant bulls will come down. And now instead of spending all this energy gathering up all those cows, they just have to come down win one fight and all of a sudden they've got nine, 10 cows right there. But so, you know, the first part of the season, um, you know, it's typically pretty hot during the middle of the day. And, you know, elk really, really have to regulate their temperature because if they get, you know, too hot, their minds just get scrambled, get fried and, you know, they die. So they're aware of the temperatures. And so that's why first part of the season, you see quite a bit of activity at first light when it's pretty cool and last light, you know, during, during the midday, um, you know, you might find, you know, some wallow activity. So, you know, my approach for early on, I mean, <clears throat> I love to call. I love to interact with elk. 
I just love that full aspect of it. So, you know, that first part of the season, I'm going to focus on during those peak movement times. And that's really where I'm moving around, really trying to locate bulls and strike that conversation, get engaged and then get, you know, get in close and get set up and start working that bull. Now, you know, as the morning progresses and, and the heat kind of starts to rise, you, you know, they're in their bedding area. I'm not one that likes to really go in and hunt bedding areas. Um, you know, I, I learned a while ago that if you go into a bedding area and you blow that group of elk out, they're not going to return to that area for a couple of weeks, if at all during that, that, that year. So, um, I will hunt the fringes of bedding areas and I'll set up on <clears throat> those fringes and kind of do a uh, early season routine. It's, it's kind of that breeding sequence that builds excitement. You don't get a lot of bugling action back per se, but you know, here's, here's the thing. When, when we say we're looking for a response, when most people hear response, they immediately think of a bugle response. But really, uh, a bull getting up out of his bed and coming over to see what's going on, that's, that's a response. Him coming to us, you know, is a response. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll do that breeding sequence, you know, early on to kind of paint that picture of, of what's happening. Um, and then, you know, we'll kind of shut it down, let them kind of rest a little bit. We rest a little bit because, you know, they, they live in pretty – pretty physical country. So, and it's early in the season. We got a lot more hunting coming up. So, and plus I like my uh, midday naps on the mountainside. So, <laughs> so then uh, that's, that's beginning a season. Um, are they, are they hitting wallows that time of year? And would that be a good thing to do during the middle of the day? Just sit on a wallow, maybe catch some rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're hitting those, they're hitting those wallows cause they're getting in on that mud. It's cooling their temperature down. It's also keeping the flies off of them. Um, you know, bulls and cows too, they get, they get restless. So, you know, they'll go and they'll lay down, um, especially first of the year when they're laying down so early because of the heat, they'll get up and mill around during the middle of the day. You know, they may come over and get a drink. They may feed a little bit, Bulls may kind of get up and do, you know, a loop to see what's going on with his cows and whatnot. Um, so yeah, wallows can be really, really effective. And it, it takes a lot of patience to sit on wallows. I'm just not, I'm too ADD. I got to move around. I got to bugle it. It, it. I just, and maybe that's why I'm not the most successful elk hunters because I just, I'm very obnoxious when I'm out in the woods, I guess. I don't know. I just have to keep bugling. I'm kind of like, cause I've, I've learned from the born and raised guys, just keep hammering until you, until you yeah. one, keep covering ground. And then I'm like, well, that's perfect. Cause I can, you know, I'll use a lot of energy, but I'm always doing something. I feel like right. I'm always moving closer to a bowl, even if I'm walking farther away from one. Uh, I, I, I'm just as guilty. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I have a lot of respect for, you know, those hunters that can go climb up in a tree stand before light and, mm -hmm sit in that thing all day long. Um, it's hard. It, it is because as soon as I start sitting on that wallow, you, you know, I, I start looking around and, <laughs> and there's, there's a ridge over there. You know, I, I know there's a bull on the backside of that ridge that's bugling. <laughs> I, I, I just know it. I know he's there. 
and you know, well, gotta gotta get up and go see on the backside of that ridge, and and so, yeah, wallows can be effective. I know a lot of people that uh, have success. Um, I've I've only taken a couple of bulls on a wallow just because, like you, I I like to call and and uh, my mind gets the best of me. I'll tell you, as soon as I heard a tig twig snap, I'd be out of that tree stand so fast it'd make your head spin. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, abs absolutely. So. Absolutely. From from all the wallows that I've seen and all the elk that we've seen, um, they're all wallowing at night. Like even if I did want to sit on a wallow, I I mean we're not going to shoot them at night. I mean, is right. there is there? I mean, what what's going on there? Because I see a lot of guys that are successful over wallows, but I'm like, well, how, you know, and I and I see them shoot them on video during the day. It's you know everything. But for my for me, I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of the bulls that we run across, um, you know, they'll be muddy, mm -hmm. you know, all, all crusty and everything. And then it's like, man, you know, you must be doing it at night because we, we've been all around through here and you haven't been here. Um, what's the deal there? So, you, you know, they can, they can certainly hit them and, and it, it'll vary from area to area and really depend on what's going on in that area of how much, you know, that wallows, you know, getting hit versus, you know, daytime or nighttime or, uh, you know, if it's, if it's just one bull that's coming in and hitting it. Now, what it kind of sounds like is, is if, if it's a wallow that's only getting hit at night, then that's kind of telling me that that's a wallow that's pretty close to their feeding area. And that's, that's why they're there at night and they're hitting it that, that at night. Um, you know, I'll bet wherever they're betting, they probably have another wallow or two that's over close by, you know, where they're betting down um, so that they can, you know, control those temps during the day. But yeah, if it's only getting hit at night, then that's telling me that's kind of close to their feeding area. And, you know, elk are pretty, pretty active at night. Yeah, that makes you, you nailed it because what, the area that we're hunting is um, springs and creeks and then it kind of just gradually goes up and there's tons of wallows all over the place and then the higher you get up, the less, they, the less of them there are and that kind of gets up into a little bit thicker where they're bedding mm -hmm. and um, like these wallows, are they're getting hit, but it's like, and I mean, you can spit and hit what they're feeding on from the wallow. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And, it's in those uh, transition routes and those, those feeding areas. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that's one thing that, uh, you know, un understanding the bedding areas and the feeding areas and the transition routes, and, and, and it kind of goes into, you know, understanding the language. So, because, you know, like I said, I've, I've worked sports shows for years, and obviously when you work for a call company and you're working a trade show, you're demonstrating calls, you know, and you're blowing on calls to attract people. And I don't know how many times I have been at a show and I've cracked off a bugle or something. And there's always that one person that will say, you do that in my area and the elk run the other way. Well, to me, that's, that's an open invitation. Let's have a discussion. So, <laughs> so I'll go up and ask him, go, okay, really? So, so if you bugle in your area, the elk run the other way. Yep. Well, tell, tell me the story. Tell me what happened. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, we got up and, and we left camp and, and, you know, we, we had our breakfast and we had our coffee and, and waited for it to get daylight so that we wouldn't trip on anything. And we, we started heading up in this draw and, you know, it happens time and time again that we'll hear a bull bugle on up ahead of us and we'll bugle. And, you know, just the next time we hear him, he's 200 yards past where he was. You know, they're just running from our bugle. I'm like, well, not quite. So 
they're just heading to their bedding area. And the fact that he's answering you, he's sitting there saying, hey, we're here. We're heading this direction. Come on, you know, follow us. And then I love this one because I'll ask him, well, what type of bugle did he do? Well, what do you mean? Well, what type of bugle? Was it a location bugle? Was it a display bugle? Was it a challenge bugle? Was it a roundup bugle? What, what type of bugle did he do? Well, he just bugled. Well, they do have different bugles. Hmm. What do you mean? So again, it's, it's understanding, you know, elk behavior and, and I'll tell them, you know, did you guys have fresh sign where you were at? Well, yeah, that's why we started bugling. Okay. Fresh tracks and fresh pee. Yeah. Okay. Well, they were down there where you were earlier in the morning. Now they're working towards their bed. And, and, you know, like I said, the fact that they're bugling back to you, they're letting you know where they're heading. They're inviting you to come along. They're basically saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're heading this way. Come with us if you want. So, so it's, it's, it's understanding those things. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get ridiculed for this one. Um, the, the educated elk. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I've had people say that one to me too. We can't even call in our area. The elk are educated. As soon as you call, they just run the other way. And my first question to them is if elk run the other way, every time you make an elk sound, how do they breed? How do they get together in a group? Because what you're telling me is every time there's an elk sound, they just run the other way. And I'm picturing in my mind, single elk just running, you know, all different <laughs> directions from elk sounds. And so it, it, it's not necessarily um, that they're running from elk sounds. It's, it's you know, what the person is, is saying. If, if you get into elk that are in kind of a passive feeding, just, you know, traveling to their bedding, and all of a sudden you're throwing aggressive sounds out of there, yeah, they're going to move away. Because again, it kind of goes back to the restaurant. They don't know your intention. You've walked into a passive, relaxed situation and introduced aggressiveness without even leading up to it. Now, do I believe that elk are weary to calling in situations? Yes, I do. I mean, it's, it's, it's public land. So here's a prime example. We're going to talk about the hoochie mama, (laughs) which gets a really, really bad rap. When the hoochie mama first came out, it was an extremely effective call because of the pitch and frequency that it could, you know, produce. Mm -hmm. And And it was a sound that nobody was using in their calling setups. It was easy to use. It was easy to control. And it's still easy to use and easy to control. The, the downfall with that is since it only has that one sound, it's in this one range, okay? So if you're using a hoochie mama and you call in an elk and for some reason they have an interaction with a human, they see you, they smell you or something, the fact that they came in to that one pitch frequency, they're going to associate that one frequency with humans, that's why the hoochie mama gets such a bad rap because people are set up wrong or something happens, wind swirls, and that bull got a nose full of human, so he's going to associate that sound. That's why it's important when you're set up and you're calling that you're varying the pitches so that there's too much for them to kind of focus in on. But, but yeah, you can run into bulls that have had that human interaction. You've got to work a little bit harder on your calling, but they certainly can be called in. So. We, uh, story real quick. We, we were walking back from a hunt and I heard a hoochie mama 
and someone was just going me 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 i'm like holy crap what are you like what are you doing like it just sounded like someone was as fast as they could with their thumb just going <laughs> like there's someone's messing with us man and then my buddy's like there's no one else in here i'm like well apparently there's somebody else in here because there's no way in hell that's an elk and then he's like i'm going after it i'm like well i'm going back to the truck he's like you're coming with me i'm gonna prove to you that's an elk i'm like <laughs> whatever man so 20 minutes later he has a cow on the ground he shot a cow and mm-hmm. i was like this this was an elk i was wrong and you know people can make fun of the terminator bugle uh-huh. they can make fun of the hoochie mama mm-hmm. um the best year we ever had in eastern oregon uh first time we ever went to this spot our, our buddy told us you know go over this way you'll have fun uh i was getting if we were more experienced elk hunters we would have had two, five, or six points on the ground in the first hour. I mean, there was bulls everywhere. You'd get six or seven answers every time you'd bugle. You'd shut the truck, bugle, and then there'd be just everywhere. And that was with a Terminator bugle. And granted, I I was pretty good with the Terminator bugle. Well, I wouldn't do that stair-step ladder. I'd try and and get a a better bugle than that. But it just, to me, it's really popular to bash on on these calls even though Corey jacobson one time was on a hunt i remember him saying this on a podcast where uh, he was calling this bull wouldn't come in and then one of his guys that he is with rips on a hoochie mom he's like why did you bring that and then here comes the bull and yeah i'm embarrassed you know it's just i don't know man it's 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 a, like i said it's it's an effective call um but you need to really be aware of your surroundings. And, and this is one of the things where education, you know, comes into play and being, being aware of, of your surroundings. You know, we've all been out there on those days that the forest is absolutely quiet. There's no birds singing. There's no squirrels chirping. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is quiet. And it's those times that you'll, you'll see people that not just a hoochie mama, but they'll be on a hoochie mama or a bugle or an open reed or something. And they're just, and I'm like, match your surroundings. That's not realistic. You know, it's, it's not matching, you know, what's going on around you. You know, you don't hear any other, other animals, you know, kind of doing that. So I, and and I think that's kind of where, you know, those calls kind of get a bad rap sometimes because they are so easy to use um, that people really don't understand exactly what they're trying to do or what they're trying to convey or what they're trying to say. Um, but yeah, I know, I know a lot of bulls that uh, have fallen to a hoochie mama, have fallen to a primos. I got sucked into it one time, um, <laughs> was, was up above camp and, you know, we're, seven and a half miles back in, in this, in this Canyon. And I left camp and worked up into this meadow that then popped up over a ridge that went into a Y Canyon. And we've gotten into a lot of elk in this, in this Y Canyon. And I got up on that little ridge and I, I threw out a location bugle out through there. And from the other side of the meadow, I hear, and I just dropped my head and I'm like, are you serious? There's somebody back here with a Primos Terminator. <laughs> I'm like, where, you know, and I'm trying to figure out, I haven't seen any other camps back here. Where did they come in from? Did they come up over the top from the north? What the heck? And, and so I, I locate again and, and I'm like, okay, I can't go up into this area because this dude's just going to follow me. And I don't want him to know what's up there. So, so I focused all my attention on him 
And I mean, I just started raking, I started lip balling. And meanwhile, he's getting more excited, you know, getting higher pitched. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, okay. I said, let's have a little fun. I go running off the ridge, across the meadow, up onto the other side. And I'm, I've got my back up to this great big tamarack tree, you know, catching my breath. And, and all of a sudden I hear him, you know, pipe off and he's 25, 30 yards away from me. And I'm like, I'm going to ruin this guy's day and I'm going to run him out of my hunting spot. <laughs> I step from behind that tree and here's this little spindly three by five raghorn that she goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I dropped my bugle, my jaw hit the ground and I was like, at that moment, I would have bet anybody a thousand dollars that that was somebody on a Primos Terminator. And nope, it was it was just a young bull that was probably learning how to bugle. Um, and it's just one of those one of those things. And so, um, oh God, what was the terminology that the uh, Doug Flutie or whatever? Doug Flutie, yeah. So yeah. I'll admit I got Doug Flutie on that. I'll I'll pull that term from the uh, from the bro crew and. And yeah, uh, that was, that was a great term by the way. And I think that's so funny. Cause you know, I almost walked away from a bull. Um, my buddy shot this year, uh, cause we were trying to meet up with, with my other buddy that went after another bull and we were hunting in pairs of two. Right. And then, uh, I'm like, no, that's, you know, it's kind of sounds like a hunter, man. I mean, Anthony, that could be Anthony, you know, we could go to it, but Anthony should be up here. That could be a bull, but I don't think it is. And then he's like, same buddy that killed that cow, you know? Uh, on another hunt and uh, he's like nope we're going after me he he has a rule if he hears a call he goes no matter well we heard one last year where he's like okay that one's a hunter I'm like thank god you said that um it's one of those open read bugles and I I I, I, very distinctive but anyways um you know I almost that's another elk I almost walked away from that we ended up killing it's like I mean, how often does that happen? You're so proud of yourself and you're so sure of yourself that you're going to walk away after you've been walking all these miles away from what could be an elk because you're, I mean, I, I think it's fun to, 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 you know, I, I, we, how do I put this? I was working a bowl and then the bowl was working me and then we got within 30 yards of each other. And then I'm like, so I said, my buddy, I'm like, I'm going to scoot back a little bit. And then this bull's just, he's hung up. He's not coming in any, any close. And it turned out to be two guys. Um, one had, had an arrow knocked and, and, and my buddy walked right up into him. And then they're like, you just let the air out of him. And uh, then I walk up into him. He's like, we called you in. I'm like, what? Like we called, we called each other in. Why? You know, it's that I, you didn't call me in kind of thing. It's like, well, why did you have an arrow knocked pal? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's it's tough sometimes um you know to tell the difference now you know once you get close enough to elk you'll you'll hear a bottom end to their bugle yeah we we as humans have a really really tough time replicating and that's that's a lot of times that um yeah if if i just hear the high pitch you know we'll sit there and uh, you know i'm not sure let's just get a little bit closer you know, we're, it's not hurting anything to get a little bit closer until we can hear that bottom end and, and make for, make sure. Um, cause yeah, you know, we've, we've been there. Uh, we've, we've walked away from elk and gone back to camp to thinking it was, you know, the couple of other members in our camp that, you know, looped around and, and, you know, thinking it was them. So we just backed out and then we got back to camp and they're like, no, we, we got up to the point and we hung a left. We didn't even go to the right. And it's like, God, we had two bulls that were coming to us. And so, you know, but those, those are all mistakes and those are, you know, learning that 
this is this is an evol you know it's ever evolving it's it's always learning you know we still make mistakes you know year after year especially you know kind of going back to where we were talking about the first part of the season there's there's not a lot of <clears throat> bugling action and and so that excitement level isn't there and your mind's not as sharp and and in the game like it is later on in the season when there's a lot more activity and we, we kind of get, get bored. And one mistake that I see a lot of people make is they stop hunting and they start hiking, which mm -hmm. means, you know, the start of the day, they're, they're really looking around, you know, really aware of their surroundings, you know, and the day progresses, they're not hearing anything. And, you know, all of a sudden they're not looking around anymore. Their head's just down. They're just walking. And then all of a sudden, bom, 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 you know, they walked into a, a herd of elk that was bedded down, but had they been in that hunting mode and really scanning, they could have seen a, a flash of tan or a flick of an ear and go, Oh man, there's, there's elk right there. Let's set up and, you know, see what we can do. And um, I think that is a common mistake that, that, you know, really, really kind of happens. And I know we, uh, you know, we were going to talk about the progression through the season and we kind of yeah. took, took two lefts and four rights, but uh, so yeah, that, that first part of the season now, as, as the season kind of progresses. And so you, you have that decent bugling activity early morning and early evening during the first part of the season. Cause you, you know, they're establishing their pecking orders. They're gathering up their cows. You know, you've got a lot of excitement. It's almost like a bunch of kids the first day of school when they all come back for summer break. But then we kind of get to that period about, you know, the second week where things just ooh, slow down and it's really quiet. It's hard to find a bugle. Well, what's going on is they've already established their pecking order. They have their, their cows. Now they're just waiting for a cow to come into cycle. That's all it is. Um, and that's where, again, that breeding sequence kind of comes into play that you hit that breeding sequence again. And, and, you know, now all of a sudden these bulls are like, wait a minute, this, this dude over here is a hot cow. I want to go check the wind. I want to go see what's going on. And it, and it can raise their excitement level because that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for a cow to come into cycle. So, <clears throat> and then as the season kind of progresses, obviously more and more cows are kind of coming into cycle because the, the autumn equinox is what triggers the rut. You know, that's the equal amount of, of daylight and darkness. Uh, I think this year it hits about September 22nd. Now, most cows are bred within a seven to 10 day window around that autumn equinox. Now that autumn equinox can fall in the middle of that seven to 10. It could be the start of the seven to 10. It could be the end of the seven to 10. It, it really depends on what the upcoming winter is going to be like uh, because of their gestational period. Um, if it's going to be a long, long, hard winter, then you're going to see a later rut in the year because they don't want to be out there dropping calves and have a, you know, spring snowstorm come in and dump, you know, four feet, the calf mortality rates just going to be, be high. So, so as that season kind of progresses, I spend more and more time on my feet covering ground locating uh, because elk kind of tend to be more, more vocal. So, so really that first part, those blind calling setups, can be really, really effective. And then as the season progresses, then it's, you know, covering ground. And um, it's, it's almost like walking up and down a creek fishing. You know, you'll, you'll find a nice drift, you'll, you'll cast and you'll drift 
three, four, five times down there. Nope, nothing here. Move on to the next. And that's kind of what moving around locating is like. You get to, a, you know, an area and you throw out five or four or five different sounds. And, you know, we, we will do some cow sounds um, at the start before we break into, into bugles um, at those locations. So... So I, I, you said something earlier about uh, different types of bugles, different types of cow sounds. Uh, would you be willing to maybe throw out some different sounds and, and tell me the difference and what they are between them? Yeah. Uh, so like a calf versus a mew versus a lost. I mean, it just, th- there's not really any resources that a guy takes a call and then goes mirror. And he's like, that's what that sound is. And then goes to the next one and goes, and that's what that sound is. It would be nice to have somebody be able to accurately um, depict what we're hearing right you know I mean? so so the the thing to you know understand is you know let's just take the basic mew so that's kind of their everyday communication their everyday talk now notice i didn't say cow mew and notice i didn't say calf mew it's it's just a mew what depicts the difference between a cow and a calf is the pitch so a cow low calf higher pitched so that's that's the difference in these sounds between you know a cow and a calf is just that pitch and so you know that's why you'll hear guys when they're doing herd talk you know, they're mixing in those different pitches. What's that longer one there that kind of just goes off into that deeper mew? Yeah. That's called a long mew. Okay. Does that have any significance to a, to a herd there? Is that just another? Uh, so it, it, it does. So let's, let's kind of, you know, cover, cover a few different sounds here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> so you have the basic mew. And then you have a chirp. So mews and chirps, that's all part of their everyday communication that they'll do all throughout the year. Okay, then we talked about lost mews. Yes. Kind of more panicky. It is. It's focused on that high note. Okay. So, um, you know, then they have an assembly mew. Which the assembly mew, you know, you'll hear a lot of times with cows calling to their calves, you know, saying, you know, come here. And then that, that long mew. Kind of combines a little bit of the lost mew and a little bit of the assembly mew. You know, it's, it's kind of saying, hey, where are you at? You know, kind of, kind of get over here. I kind of thought from, um, from what I've been doing i would use that last one you did there is is in my head i was thinking i'm i'm estrus mewing that's not an estrus mew um <clears throat> so the estrus and the vocalizations you know does a cow really make sounds when she's in estrus um this is this is a lot of debate out there whether they do whether they don't um I personally don't think that a cow really makes noise when she's in estrus. 
Um, it's, you know, the pheromones and the scent in her pee. That's why the bull's always running around checking the air. It's not like, cause, cause if you think about it, you know, you'll, you'll see a bull run around and scent check cows and he's glunking and he's bugling. Well, he's scent checking the air. If a cow really did broadcast or say that she's an estrus, why would that bull spend all that energy running around? He would basically find a place lay down, rest his energy until one of the cows basically made that sound. And it's like, okay, wait, she's ready to breed. I'm going to get up and go do my job. Good point. So, um, now, you know, a cow is only an estrus for 12 hours. So very, very short window. Now, the thing is, is if she's not bred, she'll fall out of estrus and then she'll come back in 14 days or so later. But they do have a sound that... Uh, this is again debate and discussion out there with with different people um, you know we've heard it referred to as the estrus buzz or the buzz mew I have a different thought on this I think it's more of a sound that a cow will do when she's coming out of estrus and she wants that bull to pay attention to her because um, if you've been close to a herd when there's a cow that's in estrus, there's a lot of excitement. You've got multiple bulls bugling. You've got the cows and calves mewing, chirping. I mean, it's loud. So that cow has to do some sort of sound that grabs that bull att bull's attention. So now... The reason I think that's, that's just kind of a, a really pay attention to me call is because a couple of years ago, I was walking in on my bear bait and there was a group of cows that were actually on my barrel. And when I popped around the, popped around the rock, um, I think they startled me just as much as I startled them, but they went all different directions. They just scattered. It was, it was mass exodus. Well, I went ahead and swapped out the car on my trail cam, climbed up into my tree stand. And about 20, 30 minutes later, I heard a cow coming up the ridge behind me and she's doing lost mews. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she breaks into that, that buzz mew. And I'm thinking, <laughs> we're at the first of June. There's, there's no way in heck that she is an estrus. And that's when I, I, I you know, I really listened to her and I, I had the chance to turn her, you know, turn my head and really watch her. And, and you could just see this, this panic urgency, you know, look to her body actions and her vocals. And I'm like, man, I'll bet you that is a sound that demands attention. That is basically, you know, saying, pay attention to me now. It's, it's almost like, you know, us as parents, when we're talking to our kids and trying to get their attention and they're, they're just not paying attention and we'll clap our hands or, or, you know, really raise our voice to get their attention. Well, I think that's what this buzz mew is. It's, it's more of a pay attention to me now because it has a lot of volume, um, has a lot of emotion to it. And it makes complete sense that if there's all that activity going around, she does this sound to kind of stand above everything else going on to let that bull know. So that's about the only time that I really think that, you know, they will uh, vocalize that their time in estrus is about over. That's really interesting. Cause I've been in one herd where, where there was a legitimate herd bull in there. There was about 15 to 20 cows 
and um, the closer we get to the and, and we're we're working our way in there and the herd's kind of feeding off and we're getting within you know 30 40 yards of the herd and they're on this just this other pile of thick crap and um, the closer we get to the herd the more bugles we start hearing that are just you know 80 yards outside the herd there's satellite bulls everywhere right and um it was just like you were saying there was one different cow call and then there was a bunch of smaller uh, higher pitched muse and anytime we bugled i mean i was in that bull's herd um gosh darn dogs um <laughs> let me go close that door real quick okay uh when we kept working our way into that herd um you just kept hearing all these different types of sounds that you know we'd never heard before mm-hmm. and um we ended up not getting you know not getting the bull he was probably about three 310 um pretty good bull um really good bull for that area and um we were just the closer we got and the bigger we sounded you'd see those satellite bulls start scram like just running away i mean i we were probably messing it up somehow but um you know it's just all those different sounds that you hear and then finally hearing you explain it it was like that exact scenario it was like there must have been a really hot cow in that herd or something and, and let me let me ask you this. So as you were bugling and moving closer, um, I don't know if you heard that buzz mew at all, um, but did you hear one cow that all of a sudden just started getting really loud that was just, yeah, there was, yeah. There was one cow that you could definitely say that that's her. Like you could just pinpoint one cow that was a little bit more, I would say, aggressive yeah. than, than the rest of them. Yeah. So- what you had there is she was probably the cow that was in estrus. You're a new bull coming in. And what she's doing with that really aggressive, loud mew is telling you basically stay away. I've chosen my bull, okay? Um, and I'm sure the bull was kind of close by her and, and, you know, he was bugling, probably, probably almost doing a, you know, a lip ball, you know, because that lip ball, what he was doing was basically, so the cow's telling you to stay away with that real loud, sharp mew and then his lip ball is telling you guys to stay away also because that lip ball you know they'll they'll use that that lip ball and and for those that don't know what a lip ball is you know it has that real guttural aspect to it but that lip ball is what bulls will use to attract the cows so um, but it has a double meaning. It, it's, it's almost telling cows come to me, but it's also telling other bulls stay away. So um, it's, it's a highly, highly effective call to add into your calling mix. So uh, we kind of covered the cow calls. Uh-huh. Can, we, can we cover the different types of bugles? Because um, you, you said one earlier um, that I, I had never done. Um, I forget which one it was. Um, it was one of those types of bugles you were going over. I'm like, huh. I was like, I'll, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Let me guess. It was called a, a roundup bugle. Yes. Yeah, that one. So, yeah. So, okay. So, here's, here's the deal. Um, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier, uh, passive versus aggressive type calling. Okay. So, obviously, when we're trying to locate, we're, we're being kind of on the passive side because, you know, we're basically saying hi. You know, it doesn't get real high, doesn't have a big finish. Now, here's an example of an aggressive or, you know, more towards the challenge. 
So higher pitch, heavier growl. And, and, and I hear this one from, you know, a lot of people that they're like, God, we were out trying to locate and we were doing location bugles. Well, give me an example. They're actually running around just doing challenge bugles is, is what they're doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me show you what I do and you can tell me if I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so this is 99% of the bugles, which probably tells you I'm doing it wrong. If 99% of the bugles are one bugle, but, uh, um, something like that okay so that that growl at the end that you added that's an aggressive finish to a bugle okay. Okay. so now you can do the same exact thing that you did but then just just at the end of your bugle just slowly come off and just oh okay and so, I, I, I chuckle about 90% of the time as well. It's just what I grew up doing. And, and I've always heard that Rosie's like chuckling more than Rockies. I don't know whether that's true or not true. Probably hard to prove. Um, know, chuckles. I, I, they have, again, they have different chuckles. They have excited chuckles. you know, kind of fast pace. And then they have aggressive chuckles. That's an aggressive chuckle. That's an aggressive chuckle. So, so depending on kind of what you're doing. So, and, and, and again, this is where kind of those mixture, because if you do a passive bugle, passive location, but then you're following it up with aggressive chuckles, well, well, what kind of message are you trying, you know, really trying to send? What are you trying to convey? That seems to be something I would do. So here's, so you heard the bugle that, that I would do. It's aggressive bugle. And then, um, I don't even know what I, I just, it comes out in the way that it comes out when it comes out. So, <laughs> but so here's, here's, I guess here's a, a bugle with, with the chuckle. And, um, I don't always do that back to back that upper growl too. A lot of times I'll just dive off like what you say. But here, here's here's a uh, one with a chuckle. I guess you can tell me if I'm being not matching my bugles to my chuckles. I guess I never even thought of that to be honest with you. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. So no, that kind of has a whiny whiny nature to it. Um, I didn't hear too much too much aggression on that. Oh. So. It, it kind of matched it. So when I when I get a bugle back, or when I get somebody or something a, a bull back at me, and he's a little bit more on the raspy chuckle, mm -hmm. um, I'll add more from the stomach and put some growl in there, kind of right. matches intensity. Yep. Um, I've always heard try and sound like the bull that's calling to you. Yep. I don't know if that's so. You agree with that? I do. I do. You, you want to match the bull's intensity that you're, you're kind of calling to. And, you know, again, we, we kind of talked about it earlier, you know, kind of mistakes that, you know, people make. And that's, that's one of the things that I'll hear where, you know, I'll talk to people and I'll be like, man, you know, we, we, we got in this scenario, we were working this bull and, and I mean, he was a stud bull and, and, you know, we didn't want to, intimidate him so we basically just kind of started doing these little spike squeals i'm like oh, okay so you have a good mature 
herd bull that is probably to the point that he's challenging you and you're just kind of given, you know, spike squeals. I said, let me guess, you probably called back and forth about 15, 20, 30 minutes, and then he kind of lost interest and just left. And they're like, yeah, how did you know? So basically what happened is you have to, so if you match that bull's intensity, he's going to consider you a threat. So again, you know, they're expending a lot of energy during the rut, running off other satellite bulls, you know, breeding cows, you know, it's physically exhausting. So if he doesn't feel you as a threat, he's just going to round up his cows and move away. But if he does feel you're a threat, then his only option is to come take care of you and, and, you know, run you off. And so, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's almost, um, you know, the, the, the 98 pound weakling in, in school going up to the, you know, 260 pound star football player and challenging to a fight, you know, that stud football player is probably going to look and go, you know, I would, kill you, um, <laughs> you know, and, and probably just, you know, walk away. But, but yeah, you, you've, you've got to make them think that you're a threat. So, so we've, we've gone over the locate bugle, which, which doesn't go as high pitched. It's, right. it's let, not really much of a growl, maybe there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the challenge, which is more intense, higher pitch, more growl. Yep. Um, do you add chuckles at the end of your challenge or locates at all? You know, I will sometimes, um, you know, especially like, like when I'm locating, if I've done just a couple of location bugles and I don't have anything, I'm going to add a new element, which is the chuckles. And, and really that, that display bugle, that is the last bugle that I will do before I move on to a next locate spot. Um, just because, like I said, the, the meaning of that, that bugle is, is one that, you know, you, know, you could have a bull that's two, 300 yards away he's got his cows. He's listening to you locate. And he's like, uh, uh-uh, I ain't going to say a word. I've got these ladies to myself. I am not going to let you know where I'm at. But as soon as you throw that display out, he's like, wait a minute, you're, uh, you're talking to my ladies here. I'm going to take offense to that. Yeah. I'm going to let you know. And he's, he's probably going to answer you with, with a bugle that has some aggression to it. What's that display sound like? So it's basically what you're doing is, is you're doing the same thing on the diaphragm read the stair step up with the bugle. The only difference is, is you're taking the center portion of your lips mm-hmm. and puttering your lips. Oh. So it's, that's the it, lip ball. That is the lip ball. So, okay. <laughs> so terminology on the bugles, okay? I call them location bugles, other people will call them contact bugles. Uh, The lip ball has been called a lip ball, uh, a dominance bugle, a display bugle. Um, I have never had an elk run up to me and go, Michael, this is a location bugle. (laughs) This is a chat, you know, it's, it's, it's terminology that, you know, we as humans put on the different, different sounds so that when we're talking about them, um, we, you know, have something to reference to. So, but yeah, lip ball display dominance, it all means the same thing. So, do you use that for a location bugle? I will use it as the last sound I do at a location spot before I move on. Before just because, on. yeah, just, be, just because, like I said, it can, it can elicit a response where the location bugles sometimes may not. 
So okay. especially especially early in the year. So. And and chucking chuckling after that, <clears throat> I I personally I like to chuckle. Um, would you chuckle after a lip ball? Oh, or I will. A, a dominance to me that's like the most intense like every any whatever you want to throw the kitchen sink everything that's that's all that right so you know really the thing to understand is <clears throat> the different parts of the bugle okay you have the growl you have the scream or the bugle portion itself and then you have the chuckles very rarely will you hear a bull growl bugle chuckle so, you know, do all three. But, I mean, sometimes it can be growl bugle. Sometimes it can be growl chuckle. Sometimes it can be bugle chuckle. Sometimes it can be growl bugle. Sometimes it can be chuckles by itself. Sometimes it can just be a growl by itself. So, it's, it's, there's no set thing that says these are the elements that you have to do every single time. Because, you know, their minds change. The situation that's going around changes. So, you know, different things you know, change. So yeah, I will hunt, you know, or I will, you know, throw, throw chuckles out because again, it's, it's that new element. So basically when I get to an area to locate, like I said, I'll do a couple of cow sounds first. And usually it's that lost mule. Reason being is one, it gets the reed set in the roof of your mouth. Um, it gets saliva on it. It gets everything kind of tuned up and ready, but also if there's a bull within a hundred yards, I don't want to go from silent to doing ripping a really loud bugle because when we're trying to locate, we're getting volume because we want that sound to reach out. Um, so I'll do the, the couple of lost muse and then I'll just do a nice relaxed location bugle. Listen, no, no response. I'll do another location bugle, do two or three chuckles at the end. Um, nothing. Now maybe I'll kind of do a, a soft growl into a location bugle. Nope, nothing. Display bugle. Nope, still nothing. Display bugle with a couple of chuckles. Okay, still don't have anything. We're moving on to the next spot. So um, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what would be your roundup bugle? So, so the roundup bugle basically is this. So it's usually that bark into that bugle with two or three chuckles at the end. Um, if, Low intensity kind of pretty much too. Yeah. If, if you hear that, that's basically the bull that you're working is, is telling his cows, let's gather up and move on. Hmm. So. And I, I had him just bark at me and, uh -huh. and it's like, to me, that's like, oh crap, you know, but on the uh, born and raised land of the free, I think it was, it was it Dirk. One of those guys barked back barked and back. saved the day. Yeah. Um, so on those barks, to me, that's coming from the stomach. That's pushing a heck of a lot of air really quickly through your reed. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else? I mean, I practice those a little bit, and, and I can kind of get them. But that's uh, it's a really just a quick snap, and it's and, a lot and, of air. And what do you say? Basically, you're just going hoo hoo with your with your voice when you're doing it. But you, you know, it's 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 important to understand really what the bark is. Um, you know, I've heard people refer to it as that's the butts and dust call. Cause as soon as you hear that, <laughs> it's just butts and dust. That's all you see. Not really. Basically what the elk is telling you is I'm not comfortable with the situation. There's something I'm not comfortable about. I don't think you're a real elk. You need to show yourself to me. And so by you being able to throw that back at them, 
um, you're basically throwing the ball back in their court. Well, I don't, I'm not comfortable either. And I don't think you're an elk and I think you need to come a little closer to me or you need to show yourself. In fact, um, a few years ago, we were, we were hunting here in Idaho. We had uh, worked up on this ridge and we, we were working a bull. I mean, we had him in several times, you know, that morning. I mean, there was a couple of times we had him at seven yards and brush was so thick. We just couldn't get a shot. And he kind of lived on this little, little knob. And so we decided we were going to go around the backside because there was a pretty good stretch of timber that we could then get into and get some decent shooting lanes and rework him. Well, we had to go through all this brush. And as soon as we broke out in the brush, there was a cow down there because there was a little creek and she starts barking. Well, we immediately sit down right where we're at. And uh, the guy that I was with turns the video camera on and I've got 20 minutes worth of footage of her and I barking back and forth. You know, she would bark, I would bark, she would bark, I would bark mew, she would bark, I would bark bugle. And, you know, after 20 minutes, she ended up just casually walking right around that knob and bedding back down with the group. And, you know, we waited about five, 10 minutes and then followed her right around and got set up and it, it worked perfect. I mean, that, that bull was on the other side of the cows and you know did the same bugle that we were working with him up above so he thinks basically that bull looped around to get on the back side of his cows and man he came storming through those cows like moses part in the red sea and i mean <laughs> just fall right through the middle of them and uh it was it was great the guy that i was hunting with um got so excited that he jerked that bow back and that arrow tink 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 off the rest and onto the shelf and um he now uses felt on a shelf or something to kind of close it. But uh, yeah, it, it, the bark is, is, is an important sound um, to use. Now it's something that I never bark first. So that, that elk's got to bark at me first. So that's kind of like your last option. Oh crap, we're busted. Let's try and save it. You, you know, at that point, if, you, if you're busted or, or here's the thing that I tell everybody, if you get into a situation and you're working a bull and you don't know what to do, you have two options. You can just sit there and pretty much nothing's going to happen. Or you can try something. Whatever you try, just make a decision, try it. If it doesn't work, so be it. But at least you tried something and you can put that in a, in a mental note. Early, early on in my hunting career, I always took a spiral notebook to camp with me. And at night when I got back to camp and started eating dinner, I would put the date on the top of the page and then I would start filling in the date, the temperature, what the weather was like, what activity I saw, what things we got into, if we work bulls, things I did, reactions that got. And I did that every night when I got back to camp. Then during the winter, you start flipping through and reading that, all of a sudden you're replaying every one of those encounters through your mind again. Well, you know, after five or six years, you've got five or six years worth of data that each winter you go through and you're reading those, even during the summer when you're getting ready for season, you go back and read through those. And in your mind, it's, it's like you have all these encounters over and over again. And then all of a sudden you start to recognize situations when you're out hunting. And it's like, hey, we've, we've been here before. This is what we did last time and it didn't work. Maybe do something different. Or we did this last time and it did work. Hmm. Let's try that again. That's really interesting. You say you talked to me about that notebook because one of the most successful blacktail hunters I've met, and I sat down with him on the, on the podcast, since he's been blacktail hunting, he has a notebook 
temperature, time of day, bucks, what he did, what the buck did, everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can go back and literally tell you anything you want to know about the important details of every single hunt. And he's like, I, I, he's like, it's amazing how often I use that. Because yeah. if, I, if I did something stupid one day, I can go back and like, oh, well, that's why. Or if I ran into a really good day of hunting, well, that's why, you know. And it's just really funny how there's really funny similarities between guys that they have their area of genius, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, his was Blacktail, and he did very, something very similar to you. You and, know, uh, yeah. Because when I, you know, when I started in, in 1988, we didn't have YouTube. I mean, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot of videos out at that time either. So really, we just had our encounters each year. And so then, you know, a year went by and had encounters again. So I had to do something to relive. But, but now, you know, we, we were talking earlier about mouth open, mouth closed. Um, I, I bet that now when you go watch a video on YouTube that has elk, you're going to be sitting there and you're going to see mouth open or mouth closed. And you're like, how did I never pay attention to that before? How did I never catch in on that? But it, there is so much opportunity right now to really expand, you know, your, your, your knowledge. And in fact, I'll even tell our students of Elk Calling Academy, you know, go listen to some of the other outfits, you know, that, that are teaching elk hunting because knowledge is, is, is key. You know, we hear the term that 10% of the hunters kill 90% of the game. You know, what do those 10% have? Well, knowledge is, is one of the things and understanding situations, which again, falls to knowledge. So, you know, get as much knowledge as you can. Um, you know, when I ever, when, when I watch a hunt on YouTube or if I ever, you know, sit down and watch hunting shows on TV and, and if it's an elk hunt, I'm listening to what responses are coming. And I'm paying attention to what they're doing and how their responses are. And then when you can see the bull, what's his body language telling me? And these are all things that I think the average person doesn't really key in on. You know, they think an elk is an elk, a bugle is a bugle, a mew is a mew. And, and there's really no difference. They're, they're mindless, dumb animals that don't show emotion or conviction. Well, yeah, they do. If you kind of watch and pay attention. So there is so much opportunity for knowledge out there. It's just tremendous. I wish, I wish all this was around when I started. It would have shortened that learning curve. I I wish when I started, you know, I would have started just putting a little bit more thought and a little bit more paying attention. And then actually, I mean, I like, since I, (laughs) you're gonna laugh at me because I have a podcast, right? I didn't know podcasts were free until last year. So I never, I never listened to one. Right, uh, right. And so I just wish I'm like, you know how many years I wasted? I could have been learning elk on, on, on podcasts and stuff like that and YouTube. And, and, um, and now that, you know, all this resources available, podcasts have and YouTube videos have directly played a success in my elk hunting. Um, when it, you know, for me actually personally taking the shop, no, but I take success in my buddy that I helped call on a bull. You know, we did it, we worked together. Um, you know, we, we, it's directly played in played roles in decision-making that have led to successful hunts. And it's just shortening that learning curve. Cause I, I don't want people to go as long as I have without killing an elk. I don't, you know, well, you know, and, and okay. So, so you have in a podcast and, and I was guilty of this for a while, 
you know, I would, I would hear from, you know, a bunch of my buddies and they're like, oh man, did you listen to so-and-so's podcast? And, and I'm like, I don't have time. With my schedule, I don't have time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm driving to work one morning and, and cause I get up at three 30 in the morning, I go hit the gym, get my workout in. I'm in the office by five, but I was driving to work one morning and I'm flipping through the different radio stations cause nothing's on. This is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. And all of a sudden bing, light bulb goes on. Yeah. You don't have time, but how much time do you spend in your rig driving to the gym, driving to work, driving to home, driving to pick up the kids, driving to the grocery store, yeah, you're right. You don't have any time to listen to podcasts. And so I actually started listening, you know, to the podcast. And, you know, it's kind of funny because you talked about success. Um, you know, Fred Bear, the, the, the father of modern bow hunting, his quote of a hunt based solely on trophies falls far short of what the ultimate goal mm-hmm. should be. And, and really, I, I think so many people focus on an animal on the ground being the definition of success in our group if we have an interaction with a bull if we set up on a bull and we work that bull and you know we interacted with him we got him in for a shot opportunity but maybe there was too much brush or this or that to us that is a success Um, that's something that um, you know, lives. And, and, and that's something that I'm really trying to teach, you know, my kids, my, uh, 16 year old daughter, a couple of years ago, we were out Turkey hunting and, you know, we, we were sitting on the tailgate kind of mid morning, just kind of eating a snack, you know, getting ready to relocate. And, and I just flat out asked her, I said, what is it about hunting that, that you love? Why, what is it that makes you want to come back? And she goes, I love seeing the first crack of daylight and hearing the forest come alive. Hmm. And I'm like, she gets it. How many adults don't even pay attention to that? Or when they're, when they're walking through hunting that they don't stop to see, you know, this little waterfall in a marshy area and go, Holy cow, you know, that's, that's beautiful. Or they get to an elevated position to locate and just look out and go, what a breathtaking area. And, and, and I think so much focus is on that, like I said, animal on the ground for success that we sometimes lose track of the whole entire journey. I I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I, you know, I joke around that I'm probably the most confident, unsuccessful all kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, cause you know, like it's just, I'm usually the one calling. I'm not usually the shooter. I'm just very unselfish when it comes to that. I, I live vicariously through others and I get elk meat when I help others kill bulls. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the first year we went to that spot I've been telling you about with the, with the wallows and stuff, it was me and my best friend still hunt together to this day. That was my favorite season we've ever had. We didn't kill anything. We both actually ended up missing bulls. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was like, like I, it was like magic. It was like he had private property. No one else was there. It was public land. Right. And it was like, you couldn't, you could literally, I <laughs> like last year, for example, we uh, got my buddy's bull down. It's dead. We're trying to call in Anthony that who's just over the ridge. And so I'm playing smoke on the water on my bugle, like just <laughs> playing all these tunes. I'm like, if you know, if he knows that I'm doing that during elk hunting that we got one down, like no one's going to do that. And then a bull rips off right behind me. And I'm like, Whoa, I got to go after that. And so it's just like it, the killing aspect of it for me, it's, it's, it's more of a, 
it's like, you know, finally I did it. It's just this monkey on my back. But to bring your point home, my favorite season that I would always go back to would be the first year we went over there. Absolutely. And we didn't kill a thing. We were just into bowls every day from daylight till about 1030. Mm -hmm. And you could not, you could do so much wrong and they, they would still be there. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And, um, and that's why I love talking to guys like you is cause I, you know, I probably could give advice for elk hunting, but like, Oh, how many elk have you killed? I haven't killed one. Well, that doesn't really show the skill level always. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, having somebody like you and, and I'll brag for you, who's killed like what, 26 bulls on public land a that few. has, yeah, that has a lot of weight behind it, you know, and, and guys are going to take that way more seriously than a guy who hasn't killed something that comes from fact to theory. You know, <laughs> you know, I think I can tell you it works. It doesn't work for me, but I can tell you, you know, there's, there's a lot more weight behind having guys like you on the show that, that have had the success that have done it. And, you know, um, you won't see me on like elk addicts giving a bunch of, you know, advice. I'm, I'm a fly on the wall. Yeah. You get me on a deer hunting page. I might get a little loose slipped. Um, yeah. So I, what really, what really brought Matt, you know, brought me to you um, just to kind of sum this up here is, is running into one of your students online, hearing him bugle from not being very experienced bugling and how successful he was getting these sounds and, and, and everything. And I'm like, dude, you sound really good. How long have you been doing that? Oh, it's a couple of weeks. I'm like, Holy crap. Like, I, I need to up, up my game, you know, and, and then, um, and then seeing the videos on Facebook where you, you're like me when it comes to bows and broadheads, I don't care who makes it. I'm going to test them all, try them all. And then I'll let you decide. And so you have these, you know, you, your latest one where you did cow calls, you had how many eight? Yeah. The, the 2018 cow call challenge. Yeah. You had eight, yep. you went behind a tree. You, you're very tight lipped about what ones you're using you don't tell anybody until the results are out. And to me, that is what makes that what's what, that's what makes a real true person. That's trying to do the best thing for the person watching the video, not for the companies involved. Uh, I, I get a lot of flack. I, I shot Matthews. I love Matthews this year. I've got Matthews guys hating on me because I call this year's Matthews a mini Halon. Yeah. And that was like, Oh gosh, don't, don't say that. Um, so, and I thought it was funny cause it is it, it, same riser everything kind of, and they have that 360 damper on the bottom, but for, for all intents and purposes, you know, I'm going to shoot all the bows. I'm going to give you the speeds, the specs, and that's basically what you're doing. And, Absolutely. It, and it, it's an unbiased and as hard as that may be for you, cause you worked for Primo's, you worked for, uh, Rocky. Yeah. And uh, you know, Phelps. Yep. Um, and, you, I'm sure you probably know the Wayne Carlton, probably. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne uh, and Mark. So um, it takes it takes a guy that really does want to find the best product when he knows everybody involved. He's not really worried about hurting people's feelings. He's letting the people decide. Um, and I was I was a little unsure when I I really kind of started the journey. Um, but the feedback that I started getting from people that, you know, were like, you know, Hey, we, we really like what you, you know, you're doing. It's completely unbiased. And then, you know, like I said, I, I, I talked to Mark and Wayne, uh, you know, they're at native by Carlton. I talked to, you know, Jason Phelps. I just talked to, you know, Rocky today, uh, you know, and everybody is, you know, a, appreciative of, of that because, you know, they don't want so much, 
that popularity. And I mean, I've even seen, you know, some of these guys jump onto forums where, you know, you always see it on the forums. Hey, I'm, I'm getting into what's the best read and man, here it comes. Yep. Oh, you need to go talk to so-and-so. And, and, and I think it's great that a lot of these manufacturers are jumping on there and going, Hey, you know, we, we don't really have a read that is, you know, the one read cure-all that works for everybody. So it's great to see manufacturers, you know, that are saying that. Um, but, you, you know, you kind of said something where, you know, you, you kind of live vicariously through others. And, you know, seeing Jimmy's success and a lot of the other students' success and, you know, last year getting some of the success photos from some of the students. And that means more to me than, you know, my own harvest and, and seeing, you know, the guys that I hunt with that don't have that level of success, seeing, you know, them successful. And that's why in our camp, what we kind of do is, you know, there's, there's four of us that hunt together. If one elk gets on the ground, everybody gets a quarter. If two elk, everybody gets a half. If three elk, everybody gets three quarter. And if we get four on the ground, then everybody keeps their own. Because everybody realizes that we're all putting in the same effort. We're all, you know, sharing in on the blood and the sweat and the tears and the hard pack outs. And, 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 and I think if you have that type of setup that that me, me, me mentality is thrown out, you're going to appreciate the situation, you know, a lot more now, now granted, you know, Bryce and, and his son, um, you know, Lonnie is the new one to the group. Lonnie just kind of joined us last year, but Bryce still makes fun of me so bad. I will get the body tremors so stinking bad when an elk is, is coming in. And I mean, as, as soon as I see that elk, I mean, the tremors just <laughs> start. But as soon as I draw back an anchor, I'm dead calm. And then as soon as I see that arrow zip through, you could probably feel the tremors over <laughs> in the Dakotas. I mean, it, and, and Bryce will give me such a bad time about it. And I told him, I said, the day that that stops is the day that I quit hunting. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really what it's about. I mean, where else are you going to get that? I mean, it's, it, I, I think this world would be better if everybody heard a bugle you know, oh, an actual bugle, this world would be a lot better place. But I want to, I want to kind of highlight what you have going on here. Cause we went over quite a bit. Um, a lot of it's very basic, yeah. but, um, what are you going to get for your class? Cause I, I know that there's a lot of, uh, the, why do elk do this? Why do elk right. do that? The, so for people that felt like they got a lot out of this podcast, I know what they're missing. Yeah. Um, what are they missing? Okay. So, so really within the Elk Calling Academy, you know, we, we offer a couple of different services. Um, you, you know, we have one-on-one -on -one lessons. We have something that I call couples therapy, which is not husband and wife. It's actually hunting partners. I just, <laughs> I, I just call it couples therapy because if you hunt with somebody long enough and you spend enough time, you are going to act like an old married couple. So, um, you know, and then we also do, um, um, competition calling type lessons, but you know, you, you don't have to live in the Boise area. Obviously Boise students come over to the house. We get face to face. Um, like Jimmy's a prime example. Um, you know, he's in Wisconsin. Um, I've actually had students in California and West Virginia and on up into Canada. 
So anybody that lives outside of the area, we actually use Zoom video conferencing, which is free. So we can be face-to-face -face just like you and I are right now. But the neat thing is, is I record that session, and then after we're done, I email that you know, to the individuals so they have it to watch over and over again. I, I, I used to think the people that live local had the advantage, but unless they get their phone out and record it, as soon as they leave the house, they have nothing to fall back on where everybody outside of the area gets that recording that they can go back through and listen over and over again. And maybe there's something we talked about during the lesson that didn't really click until I hear it a second time and go, Oh man. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, prime example, a student last night we were talking and uh, you know, I've done, I think this was the fifth lesson, you know, that I've done with her. And she said, you know, she goes, I was listening to, you know, the lesson because we've had a couple of weeks until we met again. She goes, I was listening to the lesson again a couple of weeks ago and it finally clicked in my head what you were talking about with air pressure and, and, and I get it now. And so, you know, within the lessons, it's, it's not just calling, you know, like I said, it's, it's the elk behavior. It's the different sounds the what they mean, how to do them. You know, I, I touched a couple of times on the breeding sequence. I, I teach that breeding sequence, but, you know, I will also open my playbook and say, this is exactly what I do out in the field. I, I don't have, and, and in fact, somebody, the best comment I've ever heard was how can you have a book written for something that hasn't even happened yet? That's elk hunting. So really the only consistent thing that we have is how we start. But based on the different reactions that you're getting back, there's a lot of different avenues because you're going to treat each one of those responses differently. There's not just one cure-all. This is what you do to go out to kill, you know, every elk every time. So our approach is to kind of maximize the opportunities. So, you know, I kind of touched on the restaurant a little bit. Here's, here's how I can put our approach. So, my wife and I are sitting there eating again and this guy walks in and he's being very friendly. He's walking around saying hi from across the restaurant. He says, hi. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? He comes over and he sits down and he and I start talking. Well, the next thing I know, he looks at me and goes, man, your wife's kind of hot. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Hey, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I feel kind of lucky. Yeah, she is hot but then he kind of keeps going about how hot she is. Well, you know, our nature, my aggression level is going to start to rise on that a little bit. And the next thing I know, he's completely ignoring me. He's flat out laser beam focused on my wife and, you know, hitting on her. Well, my aggression level is going to get to the point where I'm like, you know what, dude, let's go. We're, we're going outside. And, and that's kind of the approach that I teach at the Elk Calling Academy. It maximizes each encounter that you have with an elk and what that ends up doing is you end up getting a lot more call-ins you end up getting a lot more opportunities with bulls and you know you could go from one or two encounters a day to three four or five encounters you know a day um but so you know lessons they're they're usually an hour to hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes just depends on you know how long when did i get or questions the student has they're, they're $30 per lesson. Um, but a lot of times, like I'm getting ready to run a special that if you book four lessons, you get it for a hundred bucks even. So, well, and for, for 30 bucks, I mean, let's just think about it. 
every September you get a lesson. I mean, basically you're getting out there and you're earning it yourself. You, but I've always heard that um, knowledge is gained through others and wisdoms gained through your own experience. Right. So you are saving yourself because you don't, you, you only have so many Septembers. Mm-hmm. Might as well maximize every single September you get. Why spend it gaining that wisdom when you can get that knowledge now? I mean, why would you do that to yourself? Right. It just, for me, um, that's why I'm so hungry to get guys like you on here. It's like, dude, I need, I just need to cut that learning curve down and, and you know, just really start figuring it out and stuff. So I think, you know, podcasts like these where you're grabbing, you know, a call and you're saying, that's what this is. And, and then, you know, and then I can tell you a situation. You can tell me exactly why it happened. And every time that we've done that in this podcast, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, it's just, it, it just, we really, um, you know, I want, I want people to hunt as much as they can, um, as successfully as they can, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's a picture, a punch tag, or just getting close to a bull, um, stuff like this is what, is what really pushes that. Well, and you, you also figure it's not just every September, but the number of days, cause each day is a learning experience and, right. and you add those up. So, so you figured this is going to be my 30th season and over that 30 year time, you know, I've hunted probably an average of 20, 21 days per season. So, you know, you're talking over 600 days worth of lessons. Um, some of them were hard lessons. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you put what, 10,000 hours, you're a master. Is that what they say? The 10,000 hour rule? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think somebody said that. So, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't quite label myself as, as, as a master. I mean, I've, have enjoyed quite a bit of success. The guys that I hunt with, you know, they kind of get to take advantage of some of that success and, you know, we've had camp successes. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's always learning. In fact, I had a bull last year that taught me something. Um, it just absolutely, blew my mind. We, we worked in, we had multiple bulls bugling, uh, you know, we pegged in on the herd bull and it was, it was a herd bull with cows and a satellite bull situation. And, uh, you know, we got set up, it was, it was kind of a flat bottom Creek area that was brushy, marshy, tons of wallows, uh, you know, pines on, on the sides. And, and so I, I, I put the shooter out in front and, um, I kind of swung upwind a little bit. So if he looped down to get the wind, well, all of a sudden he starts looping upwind. And so, you know, with the, with the shooter in the middle and I'm pivoting and you know, that bull and I are just pivoting, (laughs) you know, around, around Lonnie. And I'm like, what is this bull doing? He's going completely upwind of us. And, and I'm like, well, maybe there's a better path to get in here. He's, you know, thinking maybe there's an elevated position that he can try to see. And, all of a sudden he let a bugle and all of a sudden it just dawned on me that he was actually standing at the trail that we walked in on. So he walked upwind of us to circle around to scent check the trail that we walked in on. Really? And then he went quiet, went back around, looped up his cows. And then we heard him crack off again, kind of up towards the saddle. So we beat feet up there and then all of a sudden we laid eyes on him He's uh, probably 360, 370 range, dark, dark mane. I mean, he's an older bull, so. Smart. Yeah, extremely smart. But, you know, that just shows right there, you know, we can always be learning something. So, and again, you know, we were, 
it's the first year we'd hunted this spot. So we were tr still trying to learn it to sell, but I understand exactly his mode now. I understand exactly what he does. I have trail cameras set up based on things that, you know, I saw him doing last year. So gathering information to make sure that he's still within that same pattern. Um, you know, cause I kind of talked about it that I don't hunt bedding areas. I like to keep the elk in their pattern as much as possible. So that's why I very rarely go back into the same spot day after day after day. I will have multiple spots that maybe this is day one, this is day two, this is day three, so that I can keep them in that normal pattern as much as possible. Um, if you can do that, man, you can figure out their pattern, you can figure out their bedding area, their feeding area, their travel corridors, and usually they'll have different travel corridors, you know, morning versus evening, but you can, you can gather all that information and then, man, you know exactly where you need to be at what time of day to maximize your opportunities. Hmm. Well, that's, that's all stuff that's, I think, next level <laughs> compared to the average guy. Um, so, Mike, where, where can guys uh, get a hold of you? What's your, what's your contact information? What's all the stuff that uh, people need to find, find you at? You bet. So, so basically, we have uh, a Facebook page, which is Elk Calling Academy. Um, Instagram. Again, Elk Calling Academy, YouTube channel, Elk Calling Academy, and also on Amazon Prime, Elk Calling Academy. Um, you know, Amazon Prime, the videos we have in there, I put together a series that's called The Beginner's Guide to Elk Calling, which is kind of just a brief introduction to getting started, you know, how to choose the right read, where to put the read in your mouth, kind of some drills to kind of get started just to you know, head people down the right path. YouTube, um, you know, every Friday night, we upload kind of gear reviews, elk reviews, um, some of those beginner guide to elk calling. Um, and then on Wednesday nights, we do a live Wapiti Wednesday Q&A to where I answer questions from followers. And I'll do that live on YouTube. And usually I do it about 7.45 time on Wednesdays and then about eight o'clock mountain time on Wednesdays I do the Wapiti Wednesday live Q&A on the Facebook page so uh, we are playing with a few different things to where we can go live on multiple platforms at the same time and then all the questions you know come in so we can hit you know because some people just don't like Facebook some people mm -hmm. don't like you know YouTube so we're, we're trying to make that so it hits all the platforms. So we also are working on a website right now that the website will have um, a membership area and it's, it's gonna have, be broken down into different options. So it's going to have the whole entire course that you could get a annually membership into or we're also going to break it down into individual chapters because maybe somebody just needs to work on cow sounds or maybe somebody just wants to work on bugles. And so they will have monthly subscriptions that they can go into those individual chapters. But uh, definitely the overall course is going to be the better way to go because you are going to get everything that I teach, you know, in the lessons. Um, and also the nice thing is there's incentives with those because a lot of other companies that we're partnered with, that we group with, that there's discounts 
available for those members. So um, really you, we all buy gear. So, you know, you go to some of these partners we go with, with the discounts that you save, you actually end up paying for your annual membership anyways. So, but that one's coming. I know modern technology and the phone with the app and I've been asked by several people, are you going to develop an app? And I don't know, there's, there's some pretty good apps out there already. So. And that yeah. it ain't easy or cheap coming up with an app. That's uh, that's some serious dough I hear. <laughs> you know, and, and so you, you kind of touched on the bows and the broadheads and we do that too. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a Badlands pack sitting right there. I was, I was at Black Street Guide Gear, you know, today kind of doing some videos and stuff. And, and I mean, I, I love everybody that follows us and, and the interaction, but you know, there's a lot of people that are like, Hey, can you do a review of this pack? And can you do a review of that pack? And can you do a review of this? And the thing people need to understand is everything that I review, I pay for. So, yes. um, because my take on it is if I have skin in the game, if I paid for something, I'm going to give it a more honest review. And, um, I think that in turn, that's going to be a better review for the people that are watching it that are maybe wondering about that product and, and thinking about buying that they're going to get a much better review to help them make better buying decisions. So, so yeah, trust me, I would love to review tons of stuff on the market. Um, there's just that budget aspect. So I'm getting creative with some of the stuff. So we'll, uh, I'm glad you said that because I, I do a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of gear reviews and stuff and people are like, oh, can you do this bow, that bow, this bow? It's like, not unless I buy it and I ain't buying it <laughs> just to, just to do a, you know, a 10 minute video, man. Like if I have the dealers around me, um, I'm, I'm friends with the local shop here so I can just film there whenever I want. Yeah. And, and uh, great options. That's, you know, but it is, like you said, it's not, it's not cheap especially the broadhead aspect of it. I haven't done a lot of broadheads just because it's, it's, it's a lot of money mm -hmm. um, to, to really do a good review of a lot of broadheads. And, oh, and I have a friend um, who's done one of the most extensive broadhead testing um, reviews already. So I just make him my broadhead guy, you know, like I'll just stay out of that for now. But um, well, I, I had a great time, Mike. And, and oh, this is, I, this is an honor. I, I have to, to be honest with you, I was bragging about having Cause you haven't been on a podcast yet. No, I haven't. Yeah. This is, this is, this is, I, I, I'm a I, podcast newbie. So I was, uh, I was talking to somebody today. I'm like, I don't, I got this guy coming on the show. I don't know how he's fell through the cracks, but I'm the first one to get him. And now I'm like, just watch. Everybody's going to be talking to Mike on their podcast now. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see. I know. I know, you know, I, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm honored, you know, that you approached me and asked me to come on this and I am passionate about elk hunting, but I think I'm more passionate about helping others find success. Cause, cause like I said, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to teach me. I know what those struggles are like. Um, and in fact, I didn't even call on a diaphragm read the first few years that I hunted. And then when I finally did switch to a diaphragm read, it was cow calls only. And I was bugling on external read bugles and, and you know, slowly learning. And, and so, you know, I, I just, I love helping people and seeing their success and the look in their eyes and, and hearing the excitement. So, so yeah, the opportunity to come on here is, is a great honor. I am, I'm very, very honored and, and hopefully uh, 
hopefully your listeners will, will find some nuggets in here and uh, that can contribute to a little bit of their success this fall. So, right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine I'll have to have you back on the show. Um, I could talk elk hunting probably just as long as you could, man. Oh, absolutely. This has been fun. You know, you, we were kind of talking before we started, you know, with, with my family and, and cause I still have a full-time job. Um, you know, I, I work in the construction industry and I, I'm usually there from five in the morning until about three thirty or four. Then I go pick up our little one and, and I'm home and, eat dinner real quick and usually, you know, lessons at 5.15, 6.30, sometimes 7.45. And then on Wednesdays, I do Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. So usually I get a chance to sit down about 8.15, 8.30. And, you know, because we have some gear also, you know, we've got shirts and stuff, so process orders. So yeah, about 8.15, 8.30, I get a chance to sit down and, and hi, honey, how was your day? Cool. Oh, look at that. It's nine o'clock. Let's go to bed because I got to do this all over again. And then, you know, hunting season, how, how do we balance that? Because, you know, my wife hunts, my kids hunt and September is my time. So September with archery is mine. And then my wife and, and the kids are rifle. So, um, so October is, is, you know, focused, you know, on them. In fact, my wife and I just found out today that, uh, we drew, you know, a couple of deer tags and a couple of antelope tags. And so I'm like, man, September, October, kind of first half of November is going to be busy, but so much fun. But, you know, my, my wife has been to enough calling contests <laughs> that I'm just glad she's not a judge. So... <laughs> I, I will be down here practicing for contest and, you know, she'll come down here and open up the door behind me and go, what the heck are you doing? Hmm. You know, you've, you've got this double clutch at the start. Your transition is too quick on the second note. You're not pausing enough and you know, you need to do this, do that. And then she'll close the door and I'll be like, no way. I'll turn the video camera on. It's like, dang it. <laughs> so, so they're, they're used to it. They like it. In fact, uh, my wife is actually my uh, newest um, student. So, oh. <laughs> so started, started with her a couple of nights ago and she's tell you what, she's got some, uh, pretty, pretty sweet sounding cow calls. So I might have to take her out in the woods and let her call for me. That's awesome. So, I'm trying yeah. to get mine out this year just to get her. I'm like, babe, you have to hear a bugle. Like she's never heard one. Oh. And, um, I'm like, my, my buddy's wife has a, uh, coveted Oregon elk tag. One of the big three this year. Okay. And I'm like, well, if we're ever going to do it, might as well put her into the snake pit. That's, that's going to be awesome. So I'm like, that so cool. you know, you can bring the dogs, just leave them at camp, but follow me for a day with these guys. And, 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 uh, it, it, yeah. And she's, and my buddy's wife is one of her best friends too. So it just, it's just this perfect scenario to get her hooked. And nope. so, uh, I'm trying to do the same thing. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, I would, I would definitely, um, love to jump back on and, and talk more. Cause yeah, you're exactly right. I could, I could sit there for hours and, and, and talk hunting and share stories. And hmm. I've got a lot of pretty good stories about, uh, <laughs> you know, things that have happened. And fortunately some of those fall under the rule. What happens in the woods stays in the woods. So <laughs> can't talk about all those, but yeah, this has been a great time and definitely would love to come back again. All right, man. Well, I'll put all your contact information in the show notes. Um, this will probably post, um, if I don't get South's up this week, it'll be yours. So probably look for it Monday. Okay. And um, I, like I said, man, let's button this thing up, but I really appreciate you having it on the show. 
And uh, we'll definitely, I'll be hitting you up again in the future for another one. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Have a great night. All right. See ya. All right, guys, that's this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks, Mike, for coming on to the show. I look forward to having you on again in the future. And if you got a lot out of this episode, leave a five-star review with a comment. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you want more of um, because we could talk about elk 365 days of the year and still probably not cover everything. So uh, this is very rudimentary, very basic, but still uh, you got to have great foundation to build that house. So uh, if you want to reach out to them, Elk Calling Academy on YouTube, Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, and uh, I'll, I'll have his contact information in the show notes. But please leave me a five-star review. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what you want to hear more of, and I'll be happy to, to oblige. So as always, guys, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.